Hey, everybody, welcome to another edition of Luke and Jonathan sit in Blister headquarters and talk about a diverse range of things, a.k.a. Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth. You're about to hear from Luke Kappa. And we normally at this point tell you that you can check out everything else that we have going on over at blisterreview.com. Look at that, Luke. I've been gone for a while. Still have it. feel like I still got it. Anyway, good to be back in Crested Butte and uh, back here in Blister HQ because, man, I have been putting some miles in. Yeah, kind of was in the like hardly ever sleeping in the same place for more than like definitely not more than like two nights in a row. That's kind of been my MO almost for like a month about. Anyway, some pretty great trips uh, and experiences. We're going to be talking a bit about that on this. Luke, how are you? Doing pretty well. We're now, it actually feels like like fully into summer mode in CB. Um, I've been trying to get to the post office for like a week and right. every time I get down there, they're either randomly closed or the Main Street is so busy that I just give up and go to the grocery store, get the essentials and head back to safety up the mountain where there aren't quite as many people. It's also like I could not believe when I got back here how incredibly green it is, which kind of makes sense because it's sort of the Pacific Northwest here now. <laughs> yeah, if, if the Pacific Northwest, it, it rained for like an hour every afternoon. <laughs> but yeah, it has been very nice in that regard. Super green, but uh, I'm I'm in on the rain thing, actually. I know you've been sad because it's messing up your riding schedule. I love rain when it's happening, especially midweek from nine to five when it is threatening thunderstorms all day on a weekend day. I'm less stoked on it, but yeah, overall, big fan, like in terms of like fire danger but yeah. also just it looks really good i feel like the wildflowers are going to be really good yeah. and the trails yeah. if you catch them right after it rains it's pretty hard to beat no it's been fun being back i've already snuck in quite a few rides and there's more where that came from so but in you know what is basically now just tradition i do feel like we ought to talk about food because i definitely have some thoughts on my you know coming from my european travels but why don't we start with you? Any updates we should know about on the Luke food front? Um, so as I think I've mentioned before, my tendency is to find like one meal that's pretty simple to make in terms of ingredients and time and that I like and eat that just about for every meal for like months at a time. So for the past few months, that's been basically like breakfast burritos or breakfast burrito bowls. Um basically eggs, hash browns, some chilies or something, and sometimes wrapped in a burrito. And also I've been supplementing that recently with making my own chicken Caesar salad, which is basically just lettuce, chicken cooked usually on the stovetop because I don't want to deal with the grill, and then Caesar dressing and Parmesan cheese. But that's been the gist of my diet for probably about like a month or so. I've been I'm like still still very much enjoying those two things. We'll see how long that lasts. Here's the thought. Why go lettuce with this Caesar salad and not just spinach? Like spinach. Because spinach gets soggy and it's the texture. Like the only reason that I eat a salad is basically to get a high volume of something without all the calories. And romaine lettuce is very bulky and crunchy. 
And that's the big thing. I had I had a, a wrap the other day. It was like a fried chicken wrap from a, from a restaurant and they opted for spinach in it. And both me and my friend who I talked to later who had the same wrap were like, it was a little heavy on the spinach. It's just like, I feel like you really have to chew through it. There's not, there's no crunch to it. And I mean, I don't really like the taste either. So you want to hear my review of lettuce? It's uh, substanceless. Yeah. Like it's a point. pointless food. Yeah. Volume. Utter, it's utterly pointless. I have no time. I'm completely out on lettuce. It is a delivery device and one that makes me think I'm eating more than I am so that I can not eat for longer. Wow. Okay. Are you like doing some weird dieting or is this like intermittent fasting except using romaine lettuce instead? Not really. No, it's just I definitely like if I'm having a hard time focusing on work, going to eat something is like my go-to distraction. And so if I'm going to do that, I might as well make it fairly low impact and also make it seem like I'm eating a lot of food because my, my food preferences are definitely like volume slash size oriented rather than like I'm not the person that's going to a Michelin star restaurant and ordering some dish that's like the size of a quarter right. and being satisfied. Right. It's much more about like if I see a full bowl right. of something that makes me a lot happier. Yeah. Quantity matters. Yeah. I, I, I hear where you're coming from. All right. So you're tricking yourself by choosing the larger option made up with the least substantive food like of all time. Yeah, but there's chicken and cheese in it. So this actually provides a nice segue into one of the things I wanted to talk about. I figured, um, you know, since I spent an entirety of maybe, I don't know, like maybe eight days in France, the world is probably dying to hear my review of, you know, French cuisine. Here's a little more nuanced take. You know, French cuisine is kind of famous around the world. Like that is some like high level stuff. And I had a couple very nice meals in France and like that was like really good. But France, when it comes to sort of like your your mid-range, your kind of daily driver, you're like, you're just getting a lunch, you know, lot of lot of false advertising going on in French food I found. And you talked about a Caesar salad. So, for example, one day we actually got done skiing there, you know, of the kind of few options that were available at a lunch spot we were at, there was a Caesar salad that seemed to make the most sense, you know, for kind of my diet. So I order the Caesar salad. The description literally just says Caesar salad. It comes out, there's fried chicken all over it. Sick. <laughs> so, yeah, you would have been stoked, but I'm like, you know, just write that there's chicken on this. Oh, yeah. I forgot you're a vegetarian. <laughs> right? So, like, just do that. That seems easy. And another spot, it was a, like, French pizza place with, like, the big, you know, like, big pizza oven and all that. Someone I was with ordered a margarita pizza. A margarita pizza. And that came with ham all over it. <laughs> that is definitely, by definition, not a margarita pizza. So, I just think, and this kind of, there's a few other examples, but I was like, hey, France little more truth in advertising. Do you think that it's a translation issue? I mean, I've studied French for actually quite a few years. So like the word margarita, like that that's not their term. Uh -huh. like they yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. So that was strange. Uh, that was a bit of a surprise. So yeah, that's my take. You know, French cuisine, high-end stuff. You're probably going to love it. Uh, if you're just having a normal meal, there's probably going to be some 
unexpected things headed your way on that plate. All of it so far sounds like I'd love it. Like, oh, I get I get extra meat on this and I didn't even know it. Perfect. That said, another thing you actually probably would have loved, I was introduced for the first time to raclette. Do you know what that is? I know at some point in my life I knew what it, what it was because like the name sounds extremely familiar, but I, I have no idea right now. You basically just take like an amazing half wheel of cheese and then you kind of are heating it and you create this like lava flow and you're kind of scraping it. Yeah, that and sounds it, right up my alley. Yeah, <laughs> I think, and it, it, that was amazing. That was like a very nice restaurant and props on the whole raclette thing. But yeah, if you like what you've, you've heard so far, this would definitely be your jam. So uh, you just get to scrape cheese with like a credit card thing. Yeah, that's really, you should probably move to France, come to think of it. I mean, I feel like I could set that up on my own like hit up some wisconsin contacts just get some big wheels of cheese and heat up a knife yeah just a thought um let me shift real quick to my quick review of italian food because again you know with all of my expertise on uh, italian cuisine and has you been to either of these places before no first time in both countries which is kind of amazing here's my thing on italian food i told you you know the kind of daily driver meals in France, lunch, whatever, you know, you're just a simple thing that like, like could use a little more truth in advertising. The like cheap meal in Italy is largely amazing. So like a margarita pizza or any kind of pizza in like Venice or in Florence you're only going to pay six or seven euros. That's pretty standard. It's not like... For what what size are we like talking? Like a whole pizza to yourself. Like for US people, 12 inches? That's a great question. No, bigger. I'm going to oh, say... Oh, jeez. Yeah. That's ridiculous. But, you know, typically very, very thin. Yeah. Like 14 inch. And it's not like the good pizza is like 14 euros, but then you can find like mediocre stuff at six or seven euros. It's all like six or seven euros, largely for some of the best pizza uh-huh. you probably have ever had. And I, I thought that was amazing. Yeah. Another thing we have to say, which again, forgive me those of you who are like, yeah, yeah, you clearly, this was your first trip because <laughs> it was. Gelato in Italy, like I don't buy ice cream in the States. Like I don't order that for dessert at restaurants per se. Gelato in Italy is like the best thing in the world. And I just would try, like, I was walking a ton in Italy to, like, you know, see different things. And then I would run and basically it was like, this is about, like, burning as many calories as I can <laughs> to justify a couple of these six or seven, you know, six or seven euro pizzas and then gelato, like, three or four times a day. <laughs> I think you'd be pretty psyched on this. I want to give one shout out. My favorite place in Florence where I posted up for a few days is called My Sugar. It's actually called My Sugar. It's called My Sugar in it. No, it's actually called My Sugar. And then it's like, you know, like Argentinian gelato is kind of the like subtitle or whatever. I got to know the owner of this place a little bit because I kept coming by (laughs) and he introduced me to a ricotta and blueberry gelato what you're I out because it's not just like curds and like cheese curds or whatever. No, I just I, I wouldn't want. I love cheese and I love ice cream. I don't I'm, think I've ever wanted them to be combined, dude. <laughs> I'm telling you, 
this this was I just like that became the only thing I would get. I ate a lot of that. Um, so shout out to my sugar. If you find yourself in Florence, hit them up, and I can't wait to go back. Yeah. That sounds good. I would just one day love to compare some of the best frozen custard I've had in the Midwest uh, to really good gelato. Because mm. I've only ever had like like grocery store gelato, which is kind of pointless. I don't think I've even ever had that. Yeah. Because um, like good fresh frozen custard is like the best frozen thing I've ever had. <laughs> so yeah, someday. Last thing. And then we're, um, we'll wrap up this segment. For the first time in my life traveling outside of the US, I really embraced the tiny little coffees. Like when we would go down to New Zealand or Argentina or something in the past, I would just get frustrated and angry at these tiny little things, you know? But, you know, I actually started just ordering espressos quite a bit. And I think I now respect the fact that like, while I appreciate good coffee, I'm also kind of a coffee addict. And this is a much quicker delivery system, right? Like concentrated dose. It's, you're just like mainlining caffeine, right? The job gets done real fast. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I sort of, I, I saw it more this time. A big other thing though, is clearly like we have a culture where you take kind of your big coffee and you take that to work mm-hmm. and you're sitting there and you're kind of just drinking it, you know, sort of forever till you're out and then you go get another one. That is not the culture. Like in France, you stand around the like coffee maker with your tiny little thimbles full of coffee. You stand there. It's kind of like the water cool, proverbial water cooler. You stand there and then you go work like without your coffee. And so like, I can't say that I'm totally ready to embrace that part of the French culture, but I can appreciate a like quicker injection of caffeine into the blood system. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, similar to my thoughts on food, same with drinks. I'm big on volume. So like I like having, I mean, for me, it's pretty much just an eight, 16 or 18 ounce travel mug full of coffee in the morning. That's it. Um, but I did have an espresso maker in college. Um, and I did enjoy (laughs) the, like the cheapest one that still had decent reviews on Amazon. I think it was like, right. I think it was tax season. I used my refund to get it. Um, but uh, I did appreciate the option to just rapidly do usually a double shot and get, I don't know, 100 milligrams of caffeine or yeah. something like that. But yeah, very different culture, I'm sure. Very different culture. Um, anyway, France and Italy, you're great. The French mountains are freaking gnarly and amazing looking. That was one very big takeaway. Um, it's just, yeah, I mean, go to the right zones. It's they're they're gnarly and gorgeous. And, uh, yeah, I want to come back and ski more of them sometime. Uh, so we'll have to make that happen. That wraps up our 18 minute food segment. Yeah. Just what people come to this podcast for. (laughs) That's right. Why don't you give the people a bit of an update on our monster annual winter buyer's guide that we're also at work on at the moment. How's that going? Uh, it's going well. We, more so than any other year, there's more help. Um, shout out to Kara and Dylan and all of our other reviewers um, who have been helping, especially on the organization side. 
So I, this is probably the earliest we've ever done an update on it, and they're the main reason why. Still got a lot of work to do, but it's going well in that regard. I don't have any like groundbreaking notes about this one. Like once again, it's still a ton of work. And once again, it's still really big. The last year we had about 200 and we're just talking about skis. We had about 230 skis. This year, it's looking like we're going to be pushing close to 270. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, it's a lot. Uh, and we've been spending a lot of time just figuring out where to place all these skis. And um, the thing about doing a print buyer's guide is there's a lot of thought put into which skis go into which yeah. sections. And because of how we organize them, having... 24 skis in a section versus 25 is very different um and it's kind of like i feel like we play tetris every year trying to make all these sections work out um and it's made no it's it's no easier because i feel like every year our sections which i think are very useful in terms of generally putting skis that someone might be considering in the same category the lines get blurrier and blurrier every year. And we've talked about this before, like the all mountain more stable section versus the all mountain more forgiving. That distinction is it's a, it's a tricky one to deal with every year. Cause we've got certain skis that are really light and nimble, but they're also really stiff and you can, they can feel really powerful, but they can also feel kind of punishing and vice versa. We've got skis that are pretty heavy, but they're also fairly soft and forgiving. And so that's, that's always a, a, a game we have to play every year. But um, yeah, good news is for people who like reading about skis, it's going to be really big. Um, the women's, the, our two women's specific sections are quite big. We're also, um, there are more skis than ever before. We're in the blurbs themselves, both female and male reviewers are contributing because we got to have uh, those reviewers on the same skis a lot more this year, which is cool. And one thing I'd want to note is that if you've read our guides in the past and you just kind of jump between sections based on the name of the section, like I've never looked at all mountain freestyle because I'm not a freestyle skier. In case we haven't said this before, don't write off a section just based off the name. As we just talked about, these things are getting more and more nuanced and complex. Like you have reason to look at just about every section of skis. Um, That's a great note. That's a really helpful note, I think. So like we, you're making a good argument here that there still are reasons maybe increasingly primarily to just try to organize this a bit, but you're really like, tread lightly on the overarching categories and like yeah don't dismiss a whole category because you're like i'm not a freestyle skier yeah and read read the class overviews at the beginning of each section there we kind of highlight in general what those skis are going to be and why we put them there um the other function of dividing them into categories is so that our our spectrums for each category can be as useful as possible but even for those skis where like we could theoretically put them in any of three sections, that's where 
our deep yeah. dives on the website come yeah. in handy because um, we can't compare every ski to every ski in the guide. Um, it's just not feasible. But uh, in addition to like our guide is we, we write these, we spend way too much time on these 160 oh, yeah. word blurbs yeah. to try and sum up an extremely complex on snow uh, sensation and who this product is for in a very small amount of words. It's a supplement to our website. So for the skis where we have full reviews or first looks and or deep dives, flash reviews, etc. If you're interested in a ski and our buyer's guide blurb catches your attention, but you're not totally sure, be sure to head to the website and and learn more about it. Cause yeah, like we, we pride ourselves in doing in-depth and useful reviews. And we think our buyer's guide is better than just about anyone's, but it's, it's every year I'm reminded how hard it is to work with that small of a parameter. Yep. That's why you were in the big bucks, Luke. <laughs> yeah. What is on your hat, by the way? Uh, SSS. <laughs> okay. Should we elaborate or no? It's the, I don't know if we'll keep this, but it's the Slut Strand Society that my friend, a uh, female, founded. And yeah. <laughs> you can look out. it up if you want more info. Look it up. It looks like three hamburgers. I definitely need to like get my eyes checked. Yeah. But that kind of looked like. I can see that. Yeah. It's the three hamburger club. <laughs> All right. Well, shout out. I am still pretty proud of the fact that to my knowledge, we are kind of the only review outlet out there that like, yeah, there's this buyer's guide. You can read these short blurbs and then also go to a website to read in most cases, a far more in-depth, you know, and fleshed out long form review. I still love that. I mean, it's a stupid amount of work, but I still think that's a like radically helpful and cool way to like, here's the digestible version to help you get oriented. You home in on a few skis or goggles or helmets or jackets or boots or whatever, then go to the website and you know, you're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about the fact that, yeah, to my knowledge, no one I think is doing things in that big in both the in-depth and the kind of short form. Um, I think now is a good time to also shout out to our bike editor, David Golay. Um, We just released an update to our mountain bike buyer's guide, um, which I think is a really good condensed guide on how to buy a mountain bike or how to think about buying a mountain bike or how to upgrade your bike. Um, it's rather than in our winter buyer's guide, we're going over specific products one by one. The mountain bike buyer's guide is, it's like, yeah, how to buy a bike. And I really wish I had it, um, before I got into mountain biking. Um, and this year we've updated a few sections to just keep it in line with modern trends as well as added a whole new section on basic suspension setup, um, which I think will be super useful to a lot of people in terms of like, if you already have a bike and you've never played around with suspension that much, that part of the guide, I think will help you make a big difference in the setup you currently have and cost you probably $0. Yeah. So, okay. So that updated mountain bike buyer's guide, it is on the blister website. Where exactly should people go to find it? If you use the nav bar on our website, there's a one that just says buyer's guide, tap that mountain bike buyer's guide. It's also on the link in our profile of our Instagram. It's also near the top of that. By the way, another shout out to Mr. David Golay. There was a comment that came in 
on socials today and somebody was like, man, shout out to David Golay and the Bikes and Big Ideas podcast. This is absolutely the best mountain bike podcast going. And he went on to sort of talk about exactly like what David is doing on that. And first of all, I wholeheartedly agree. And David is killing it on that. I still felt like I was turning like my baby over when I sort of gave David the reins to that Bikes and Big Ideas podcast, which I used to host. But David is absolutely like he's made it his own. It is so good. If you are a fan of Gear 30 and you are not listening to Bikes and Big Ideas, I promise you, you are missing out. Yeah. And it's been really cool too. I am hearing from more and more industry people who are just like, that's their like new kind of go-to. Um, in fact, I was just talking to somebody last night uh, about it. And so, yeah, really proud of what David and some of our other people are doing on that. But uh, that's a very good one. And yeah, good job, David. Where should we go? Do we want to wrap up with any other thoughts from your European trip? Yeah. Not, not food related, I guess. <laughs> not food related? There are a number of things to say, I suppose. And some of this, I think we will, I kind of want to save for like, you know, dedicate maybe more of their own episodes. I obviously posted this conversation that we did with AJ and Jake Stevens. We were talking about how AJ approaches ski development. Uh, again, I'm sorry that my voice was a wreck. I also think that there was a weird thing that happened with my mic. And so the strikingly handsome Justin Bob is like, as we speak, is going to be trying to like adjust that audio. Yeah. So anyway, but that was a great conversation. So maybe I won't touch on that part of the trip too much, but two other things. I was at the Lang Ski Boot Factory in Montebelluna, Italy. This was the first time I've been in a full ski boot factory. I had been previously in the uh, kind of the R&D center for Atomic mm -hmm. and it was really, really cool. And my weird takeaway um, unlike ski factories, and I've been in many, many ski factories, a ski boot factory is like walking into a brewery. So if you, you know, go into a brewery, right, you have all these tanks that have different grains or different types of hops, et cetera, in there. Well, that's actually kind of like a ski boot factory because you have all these tiny little pellets mm -hmm. and then there are these different master pellets, which is what brings the color in, right? So like, and, and I think Matt Manzer and I talked about this in one of our, you know, thousand episodes on boots, but so you kind of generally like ski boots for the most part are sort of starting with a translucent, these like translucent little beads. And then to color a boot, if you want that blue or pink or red or whatever, you're adding like only like two to three percent of these, of the sort of, and it's not exactly, these pellets are not exactly the color that, that you will end up with on the boot. But so it's this extremely small percentage. And, but like having actually been in a number of breweries, I was like, I'm walking into a brewery here, except we're making ski boots. Really interesting. It was really, honestly, an incredibly unique opportunity to go through that factory and be guided through each steps of productions with Tor Verdonk, the global brand director of Lang, 
And then our guy, Luigi, who is awesome and who runs that factory in Montebelluna. And we were just in the weeds, like going through the niceties of ski boot production. And unsurprisingly, maybe like, I think we can sometimes just look at a boot and it's kind of a lump there and sort of whatever. And you might be like, why doesn't this, this one hurts my foot here or something. This is such sophisticated stuff. You know, when we're talking about the production of a boot, it, it really ratchets up, I think, one's level of appreciation to everything that is going into this. So I, I want to, I really wanted to bring Tor and Luigi on to a podcast. We didn't have a chance to record. Uh, everybody was quite busy um, while we were on the trip. We'll at least bring Tor on. Maybe we'll get Luigi on too. And because um, there's a lot of things that kind of came up in that tour that would be worth sort of touching on in more detail. So yeah, that was a very, very interesting experience. Another thing I want to say, those of you who listened to the two-part podcast I did with the CEO of ATK Bindings, Davide Indulti, I think we kind of hinted in part two of that conversation that there was a chance that I might actually make it to the ATK factory. And I did make it there. And that was also very interesting in its own right. I have to confess, the real highlight for me, it was wonderful going around and again, sort of doing a similar thing that I did with Tor at the Ski Boot Factory. Like we were going into all the specific pieces um, that go into making like an ATK binding in that entire process. But I did get to meet Davide's father, the founder of ATK. I actually have a picture of the two of us at his CNC machine from 1998. And so that I feel like is kind of a life bucket list item that I get to check off. For some reason, I thought CNC machines were like a relatively recent development. How how different did that thing look? Oh, wild different. Yeah. Yeah, like wild different. I mean, complete, I mean, from someone, you know, who does not work around CNC machines all the time, I'd never seen anything like this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and I've been around a lot of CNC machines now, like modern ones. Mm -hmm. So very, very different. That thing was way more expensive, especially for like pricing in 1998 versus what they are now. But it still runs beautifully. (laughs) And uh, anyway, that was a very interesting moment. And I also want to give a shout out to Francesca, who works more on the sales side at ATK, but really has her hands in a lot of different aspects kind of of the business and marketing and the rest. And um, we had a lot of really interesting conversations as well. So that was a really cool day. And any time one might get the chance to go into one of these production facilities, you know, take it if you get it. Yeah, we've obviously been pretty big fans of ATK since we started getting on them, you know, a while, several years ago. Very, very cool to learn more about, um, and not just learn, but see exactly what they're doing in their processes. Frankly, just all sort of reinforced elements or reasons to be impressed with what that company is up to. Were they all fueled by... Six euro pizzas and gelato and small coffees. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. Is that the secret? <laughs> I'm glad you asked. No, but I went to lunch after uh, spending several hours at ATK with Davide. Francesca and I went to lunch and she 
was like, you have to get the tortellini because in we were in the area called, let's see if I do this correctly, Fiorano Modenese. And in Fiorano, they are known, according to Francesca, for their tortellini. And I think it might be called tortellini di bordo. And I just was like, all right, I trust you. It was basically, and this will get me, like, I'll never be allowed back into Italy, but it honestly basically just looked like plain tortellini almost in like a clear broth. I mean, almost just like in water. Okay. So it doesn't look like much. Almost like dumplings in soup. Almost like dumplings in soup. And it was freaking incredible. Huh. Freaking incredible. And thank you for the dumplings and soup analogy. I that thought I, you were going to say it was like a hot pocket. <laughs> no, 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 no. So I hope to get back to that region because that was definitely the best tortellini I'd ever had in my life. And I'm glad we're back talking about it. Yeah, I feel like that's a good way to close it out. <laughs> yeah, so um, wonderful opportunity. Oh, and I should say, friend of Gear 30, I did link up with Matt Manzer for just a couple days. We spent a lot of time like, dragging uh, luggage across Venice. Um, So Matt and his girlfriend, Alba, shout out to the two of you. That was fun to kind of catch up, you know, with Matt on some different fronts and uh, pretty remarkable little trip. And while also trying to work on blister stuff here and see a bunch of different production facilities and crisscross countries a few times and the rest. Um, But that's a bit of what that trip was about. And yeah, we'll have some more probably some more gear 30 conversations kind of spinning off from that trip. So that's what we got, but we got one more thing we need to do our weekly, what we're celebrating segment. Are you celebrating anything this week, Luke? Uh, well, I guess more so looking towards next week. Um, you've been traveling all over Europe, (laughs) having fancy food and visiting (laughs) Italian factories. Um, but next week, I will be going back home to Wisconsin, um, and I'm looking forward to that because it will be, I mean, kind of the opposite, mostly just staying in one place on a lake, hopefully just enjoying the sun and the water and catching some fish and doing a bit of non-frozen water skiing mm-hmm. and boating. And yeah, it's something I look forward to every year. You get to see it probably my whole family. So yeah, looking forward to that. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we'll give you, we'll give you the segment this week then. That's cool. And I'm glad you're getting home and we will, we're trying to get better about like leaving people alone, like actually having like things like real vacations. Yeah. Well, the funny thing is (laughs) me, Kara and Dylan are all gone at the same time for part of that period. So I'm not sure it'll be totally work free, but it'll definitely, yeah, we're definitely getting better at that. Okay. Um, well have fun back home. Say hi to your family for me. I hope you can find a makeshift raclette wheel system thing. You should watch some videos on that. Probably your whole family would be in on (laughs) this. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's right up their alley. Yeah. And, uh, I'm going to go run right now since it's probably too wet to ride bikes. So I'm going to go get a run in, but then tonight, later tonight, I will raise a glass Probably raise a glass of Whistlepig six-year-old to you and your family and a quasi-break. And I really now hope that you do some sort of makeshift raclette thing and send me a photo. Well, we usually, there's a route, it's like 10, 15 minutes longer. um, But there's a route that takes us directly past a cheese factory where you can get 
she's like basically right off, right as it comes off the factory floor. Um, <laughs> so hopefully I can convince my family to make a stop there. And yeah, we can see what happens when you take a cheese, a particularly large cheese curd <laughs> and do that or something like that. <laughs> we'll see. I'll keep you posted. Can't wait. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Gear 30. Luke, thank you for the conversation. Uh, Shout out to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. A reminder, check out Bikes and Big Ideas, that podcast, if you just care about design and certainly if you are a mountain biker, that needs to be on your radar Other than that, from the entire Blister crew, take care of yourself. Have a great long weekend. I'll talk to you this Monday on the 4th of July. Cody Townsend and I will be reviewing the news once again. All right, everybody. Talk to you later.